Twice a week, Van Lathan and Rachel Lindsay dissect the biggest topics in Black culture, politics, and sports on their show, Higher Learning. They discuss the most important and timely conversations while also frequently inviting guests on the podcast and occasionally debating each other. Check out Higher Learning on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Listeners, welcome. This is Sound Only. I'm Justin Charity. And I'm Micah Peters. We're your Sound Only co-host here to discuss our deepest darkest our backgrounds our backgrounds. honestly <laughs> we we were both we both had five star general fathers that trained us to kill from when we were young and anything in either of our hands is a weapon is that what happened that's what that happened. is what happened that's that okay. is what happened put it on the wiki um we're talking about suicide squad first of all before we get into suicide squad that's the whole episode. Do you have any... The Ringer this week is running a big package about Nickelodeon. Do you have <coughs> takes that you want to get off sort of like... I do have a single... Uh, I, I do have a take that I would like to get off, which is that The Legend of Korra had better villains than Avatar The Last Airbender. Fire Lord Oza is just kind of like, you know stomping around going me, 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 you know, and that's not really that compelling or interesting. But Zaheer from Legend of Korra is like, you know, when we had like all those, the, the, the weird and kind of dumb uh, content cycles where we've had to like, you know, usually me has to do a post about like, hey guys, actually Thanos wasn't right because genocide is bad. Or yep. hey, Killmonger yep. is... <laughs> Killmonger's yeah, ideas were kind of stupid. Yeah. 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 Like, I would write a piece about how Zaheer had some points, dog. Like, it's, you know, he had some points. It also had, like, you know, the coolest, like, ascension moment ever with, like, you know, the... the, the did you watch Legend of Korra? No. There's, like, a scene where I'm basically... I'm still working... Listen, for listeners, I'm still working on Avatar Last Airbender. We will get back he to He learns to... 
you know, like in Avatar The Last Hand where Aang always has to throw his glider and like you use it. Basically, he relies on the Bernoulli principle to fly around like a normal plane would like a like a because that's why he wears the winged stuff and has the glider, etc. Zaheer just straight up flies like he just levitates. And apparently, like, you know, the the key to that was literally some uh, sort of like Agamemnon shit where it's just kind of like you have to kill your firstborn so you know why you're storming Troy, like, you know, or like what the cost of the thing is. And it's like his paramour has to die. And this like instead of like erupting, like which is usually what happens in these children cartoons, it's just kind of like this steely implosion and he goes let go of your earthly tether and then his feet lift off of the ground and he flies off it's one of the craziest things I think I've ever seen like live on a cartoon that was rated Y7 (laughs) or was it TV14 I don't even remember but this week we discuss our deepest darkest thoughts about the Bernoulli principle Uh, I feel all that I will say Here's the thing. I know, I know, you know, internally at the ringer, we've talked about certain generational divides, you mm-hmm. know, and like whether you're the kind of person who grew up and you talk about Ren and Stimpy versus you talk about SpongeBob, right? Like it's two different generations. It's two different social security checks. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. To me, the real divide, and I talked to my editor Eric about this. The real, the real sort of divide, they need to start polling it in election analysis for, for 2020, 2024 is kids who grew up with cable and kids who didn't. Because <laughs> that's the yeah, actual Nickelodeon device. Yeah. True. True. Sh- wow. I mean, it's true, Speak right? Like, you know it. I'm right. But that's Speak the thing, on right? It. It's sort of Speak taken for it. But it's like, I, there were a couple, there were like a few years where I had cable as a kid. I will say, of those years of watching Nickelodeon, Hey Arnold, that's, that's, the, that's the jam. Come on. Nothing yeah. is touching Hey Arnold. I don't think I had Spongebob. I, I don't I don't think I had cable by the time Spongebob was like a thing. I think I was back to not having cable again. Mm-hmm. But Hey Arnold is... Give me Hey yeah, Arnold, I, leave everything else. I talk about... We talk about anime so much on this. And like, I, I have like so many takes that I've hinted at in the course of doing this pod with you about like the state and nature of US TV animation, right? And I will say that Nickelodeon, even though I had like very limited exposure to it as a kid... To me, the thing about it I'm realizing is that Nick, like, there was sort of a chaos and diversity of styles in Nickelodeon that until, like, Cartoon Network and Adult Swim were in, like, peak form, that's just kind of not how popular US TV animation worked. Like, you could take Fred Flintstone and you could take the Jetsons and you could put them... You could have them do crossovers because they basically look the same. They have the same character style. Yeah, there was definitely like a a distinctive visual grammar to each of like the each of the things that Nickelodeon was doing, which is like like even like their live action stuff. For instance, like at the like in the old Los Angeles offices for the Ringer, we like if you were coming from like Vine and like you were like walking towards the office, you'd have to go past the old like uh Nick Jr. like lot thing, like where like they had like lily pads and used to sh- spray people with slime and whatnot. You like yeah. I've it is almost like I've completely forgotten that that used to exist. And it's like this 
you pass this like monument to a bygone era of television every time you're walking in. It's just kind of like weathered and looks weird, sort of like, you know, Carlos Escobar's like compound where if you look around like all the it has like all the weird statues of animals and painted things for children or whatever. It's just very creepy, actually. I wonder if you could like shoot a horror movie there at night. That would be good. I mean, damn. Yeah, for real. Uh, go to the ring of the dark reboot. Yeah, I was guys literally but <laughs> you can you can yeah. do it. You can totally do it. Uh go to the site to read about that. We talk about Suicide Squad though. Come on now. We talk about Suicide Squad. Micah, I this movie's tight. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Tight. Like, so okay. I had no what expectations did I, what did I say? for this. What did I say? What did I say when I text like I texted you? DC strikes again. <laughs> I texted you. And I said, I was mad skeptical in all text- lowercase letters, sheepishly, at like, you know, the wee hours. Okay, Suicide Squad is good, though. <laughs> it's like, it actually is a very fun and surprisingly emotionally tender movie. Like, there's a, it's, it's, like, it works. Like, a lot of the, 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 the things that James Gunn uses to, like, subvert the getting to team together subversion that even other movies have done and managing to make it fun. Like, you know, like the beginning, in the beginning of the movie where they yeah. basically like, this is Task Force X and this is the group of people that we're rolling with and we're meeting. And like, it's basically two of the people you saw in the previews plus some other people that you kind of caught glimpses of in the previews. And, you certain know... Certain Saturday Night Live cast members. <laughs> certain Saturday Night Live cast members, you know, that don't that aren't like mainstays on the show every single week like are are around and you know dressed up as lesser minor like in jokes between comic book writers at the time that those characters were created more or less like tdk and the weasel and so on and savant and so forth they all die (laughs) (laughs) and it's not like it's not like in Deadpool, remember when they had like Deadpool 2 and they had the getting the team together thing um, where they had, uh, you know, basically only Zazie Bates survived. Um, it was, and that was like the first like big screen, like subversion of the getting the team together part of like the, you know, Dirty Dozen type superhero movie. But then just like having the te- like it's what this movie does is basically mess around with the timeline a lot. Like that's that's what the uh like the editing of it is really good, I think. Is 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 like the thing the that editing, stands out the most. It is. And actually, I want to dwell on this for a second cuz remember, okay, we were talking a while ago about Loki and in in what I think we referenced this listener's email and who was talking about like Again, complaining about homework. Why why complain about homework from like having to catch up and sort of put together all the pieces of all the serialization of 25 years of comic book movies? And his point in the beginning of the email was that, well, you know, the first 10 minutes of the first episode of Loki, like they do all of this exposition that explains everything. All Everything you need to know is in that exposition, right? And like my pushback to that would be, there's a difference between like, yeah, technically you you wrote a, an exposition dump into the beginning of your thing 
But like, is that really dramatically ideal? Like they're, you know what I mean? It's sort of, yeah, they're, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just, I thought a lot about that point when it's I was the, watching the first 10 the minutes or 15. It's one of the pratfalls of starting a story where it begins is like yeah. that, you know, you may run into the issue where you have to lump a lot of exposition into the beginning. But the thing is, is that like Suicide Squad just starts at a fun part. Like it's just kind of like this yeah, seems that's like a good thing. place yes. to start. And like right. And honestly, when it rolls back to to like to fill in the backstory, it honestly only chooses the fun parts from that too. Not even like yes. There's there's not anything that feels as though you need to get attached to any of these characters, which is honestly the first. That was the issue with the first Suicide Squad, where. Everybody kind of got their own guitar solo uh, yeah. early on. And it was just kind of like, all right, well, we're trying to maybe build. It It felt like franchise building within a movie that was about like um, a team of people that are sitting to do an impossible job that knows that they're going to die in the process of completing it. Um which kind of ran counter to the way that those dynamics would actually work in between the characters. We talked a little bit about this. We were talking about justice league, like um, the Snyder cut. I mean, where it's just kind of like, they do a good job of basically um, trotting out a believable way that these people might come together and become a team by the end of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but because of that, those dynamics though, that those team dynamics. And to me, this is the thing that's different. And even just the first 20 minutes of Suicide Squad, the Suicide Squad rather. And, you know, those first like 15 minutes of Loki, right? Is that Loki needs it all to make sense technically and literally right like it needs to make sense on paper whereas here in suicide squad the thing that makes it all make sense even if you don't know who all of these z-tier characters are is the performances in the movie yeah the performances <laughs> right? like in the movie the fact yes. that the performances are good can make the fact that it can it can smooth over a lot of exposition and in fact render a lot of exposition unnecessary because you can you can look at margot robbie and john cena and Idris elba and watch how they interact and it tells a story, right? And it tells a story yeah. in a way that's much more interesting and compelling than just being like, Loki tells a story of how at this one point in this one Marvel movie that came out five years ago, this thing <laughs> happened, but what if this other thing happened instead? You know, and remember I, the scene that happened in that movie? Instead, this okay. movie is just like, what if the characters were fun and the actors were good? Yeah, like the the scene is... Okay, so in the original Suicide Squad, a thing that I think about so often is um like is 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 Will, <laughs> is Will Smith raising up the chopper on Batman while while wearing a trench coat and Giuseppe Zanatti's and like a felt hat, right? It was one of those like uh one of the things that was supposed to explain how Lawton ended up in Bell Rev prison. And it was like a flashback that had string music and snow was falling. And his daughter was just kind of like, is this who the, the kind of man you are? Like it was, she didn't say that, but it was like all over her face. 
it's so much better that like Idris Elba's already in prison and he goes to like and his and the visitor that Amanda Waller brings is his estranged daughter and they just get into a shouting match. And in that shouting match, yeah. you basically understand everything about their relationship. Yeah. Yes. Right. And that and that that shouting match is 30 seconds of the movie, right? And it does, yeah. it just does a bunch of work. And you only see, and then you only see his daughter again, like at the end of the movie. At the but end. It doesn't matter. Like you've done the work. Right. Um, all right. Explain the mission in this movie. Explain. Okay. So there is Viola Davis. A, an island nation <laughs> of, of, uh, of, of, of mixed political origin called Corto Maltese. <laughs> it's, it's like simultaneously like Cuba, but also Chile, <laughs> like, like mid century Chile. Chile and Venezuela during an oil crisis. Yeah, yeah there's a, it's a, it's a whole bunch of shit going on. It's an OPEC country. I think we can we can safely say that. <laughs> the uh, it's a anyway the. <laughs> the Just wait till you hear from NATO about this. <laughs> <laughs> they are um, basically going in to erase all remnants of um, a top secret military science project called Project Starfish. That was also like, you know, mm -hmm. a government sanction. It's like, you know, a U.S. whatever this country is, joint venture from some sort of blah, 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 the war. The scientists came from over and mm -hmm. then they just decided that instead of making, you know. It's World War II. You know, soda drink for children and pasteurizing milk, they were going to create weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> so one of yeah. those was Project Starfish. Which is not a slang term for butthole. Um, no, yes, good job. But also, <laughs> right, sounds kind of ominous when you first. Ooh, Project Starfish. Ooh, a code name. We love a good code name. Yeah. Certainly, nothing literal about this code name. Uh, but continue, Project Starfish. Yeah. So Project Starfish is basically built up via the you know requisite um, black and white dreams of vignette film of like people having their minds taken over and this thing floating out in space. And it is actually like a giant starfish. It's just a giant starfish uh, that enslaves the minds of everyone that it touches and, you know, grows more or less like a parasite. Um, exactly Micah, like can a I, parasite. Can I, I don't punctuate know why I said that? What? what? Did, you, did you growing up, Growing up, did you watch the the Pokemon cartoon growing up? I did watch the this. By the way, it's Starro the 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 Destroyer is the name of the that's thing. the starfish. Yeah, that's the starfish. But yes, did I, you, okay. I did watch the Pokemon cartoon. So I remember when I was a kid. There is in the opening credits of that show. Um, there is like a shot that I feel like it's been memed on like the corners of Reddit, there's an, in the opening credits to Pokemon, there's a shot of uh, a tentacruel like that has grown to gigantic proportions and is like destroying a skyscraper in a way that is eerily evocative of 9-11. And I remember this after 9-11, <laughs> thinking about that image a lot of tentacruel destroying a building. And this movie has the temerity to ask, what if Star You? 
was the strongest Pokemon. Because that is what the starfish looks like. I don't know the, yeah. the comic. You got to explain the comic origin. Because I just looked at it and I was like, Honestly, I do not know. Lovecraftian like, and Staryu. I'm, I do not know the comic origin. I'm just as I'm just as lost as you are, cousin. This is like I like it's I don't know where the I don't know anything about most of these characters, to be honest. With the exception of Rick Flag and Harley what? Quinn and Bloodsport. Um but yeah, I mean like there's I it, it's 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 really what it is is kind of the, the the entire movie feels like a weird sort of meta commentary about like, I mean, if you wanted to stretch to the outermost bounds of the known universe, like James Gunn's kind of like redemptions, the comeback story after all the weird stuff or whatever, because it's just kind of like the 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 thing that ultimately saves everybody in the end are rats, and it's just and and it is the the yes. the line in the movie is that kind of like rats are the most despised. And reviled creatures, you know, in all of existence. And if even they have a purpose, then so can you. And blah, blah, blah. It's just, it feels very cheesy. Yeah, but you. But if you feel shitty, man, <laughs> it works. <laughs> you also, you're underselling it. Because it's like, and again, it is, I think this movie does. They set it no, up I mean, like, so I, well. Like, I, I, really am, I, like, I really am underselling it because the way that it sets up that sort of that payoff is beautiful honestly like from uh the 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 the, the, the team riding like the bus and again going back to the editing like the rain falling down the window of the bus like turning into the flashback and it's like again it doesn't even take over the whole screen it's just her trying to recount the i mean like the the, the girl who controls rats what is her name um, uh, I man, come on, Wait, help me out here. Get this? Hold on, it's like it's like in the name, isn't it? Rat catcher or something? It's like oh, there you go, there it is. It's rat catcher, and it doesn't take over the entire screen. It's just rat catcher trying to explain, you know, how she developed this affinity slash mastery over rats. Uh, and it is like kind of having to do with her dead father. I mean, like, yeah, the movie sets these, like, sets these things up beautifully and it doesn't feel cheesy. Despite me, like, despite me saying it and it sounding, like, cheesy in a vacuum or, like, if you're writing it out and having it be cheesy on paper, it works. No, it's a I'm sappy gonna, I'm movie I'm going to offer works. a counter-argument, which is that it is cheesy and that's good, actually. <laughs> that's the thing. It's, the movie has such a good balance. I think it's a key to what works so well about it is that it it does have a lot of sentiment frankly like Ratcatcher is this very sentimental character and even Idris at turns so is right? Nanawe the entire yeah. shark thing the entire yeah. shark arc is so sad to me <laughs> um yeah I don't know the, the movie is cheesy and the fact that it's not a f it's confident enough to both be a movie that has cheesy moments about how rats are the most actually we'll we'll talk about that a bit more after the break about i think the balance of cheese and edge in this movie because I, I think that's basically I, that's more or less what makes this movie feel like it has a personality 
Yeah. That's like the most you could ask for from these kinds of movies, in my opinion, right? Unless you're just super yeah. invested in the universe, it's just give me a personality. I feel and like that, this movie and that and that delicate balance between cheese and edge was struck perfectly by John Cena, which we will talk about. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. John Cena. Let's taco about it. Come on, dog. There's three. Okay. First of all, Margot Idris Cena. Great performances. In great the performances. The best being John Cena. John Cena. Yeah, I, like, it is. Clap for him. Really? I didn't see fast. I, I, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. I wasn't like, ready. I mean, okay. Like, all right. Pete this. So did you see Fast 9? No. It was so. I didn't see it Fast was, 9. Was, I didn't see Fast 8. It was disappointing for one. myriad reasons. Wow. Um, I mean, you ain't got to get into it super hard, but just give me the run. No, I mean, on. like, it's just like, it's, it's, I mean, like, okay, sorry. Let me not say that it was disappointing for myriad reasons. It actually delivered on most of the things that it was supposed to deliver on and then exceeded some of those because also, like, there's this weird, like, Vin Diesel as Samson scene <laughs> where he, where he, like, like slash like Vin Diesel as Neo in the Matrix fighting off hundreds of Smiths like scene in there where he like destroys an entire I don't know man I don't even know how to explain it to you but his body double was a Def Jam Vendetta CGI character (laughs) and like he did some crazy shit in Tim's I can't even believe it Jadakiss would be proud but John Cena like it as it turns out, the twist is is that John Cena is his long lost brother, <laughs> a brother that we haven't heard about for nine movies in a franchise centered around family. Anyway, John Cena shows up, and John Cena is his is his long lost brother, and also just kind of works as like freelances as like an espionage, like a like a like a spy person whatever it is that Vin Diesel and Ludacris and Tyrese do together you know at the behest of the US government uh John Cena also does that at the behest of whatever corporation <laughs> is you know like the conglomerate of evil they wear tighter and darker shirts uh so but the thing is, is that's so disappointing is that it's such a ridiculous character. Because, I mean, like, how the fuck could they be related except by chest size? You know? Because I feel like they're not even, they don't look anything alike. Anyway, John Cena, the disappointing thing about it is that he never breaks character. And he says such ridiculous shit. It's such a ridiculous uh, character. Okay. And he doesn't get to be funny. And he's, like, really, like, I... In God damn movie, it, John Cena is funny, man. Yeah, yeah. Like it's, he ha- he's he like has funny in this movie, but then also really distressing in this movie. Yeah, it's like also they give him really, a lot. He is like goes from being like you know, 
very like, you know, funny or die kind of, isn't it hilarious that this guy with, you know, arms the size of tree trunks is, has like, you know, comedic timing <laughs> of talking about, I, I think it was like the exchange, like where him and uh, it just over walking, uh, you know, into the, we can call the, them the their character names, by the way, at least it's, it's Sorry, John Cena's Bloodsport peacemaker. And peacemaker <laughs> are walking into the, uh, the refugee camp, right? Like, and that's like, honestly, one of the funniest jokes is that they take down a group of insurgents as they were called by Viola Days, uh, sorry, by Amanda Waller. Mm-hmm. And it turns <laughs> out every that they were the resistance fighters. Viola <laughs> Davis is talking about the insurgents. And, no, go ahead. But like, before they walk into the camp, like, and this is like a conversation about like, you know, you know, the constitutionality of power, but it revolves around dicks, obviously. <laughs> he's just kind of like, listen, Bloodsport is the leader of the group, and he's just kind of like, and Peacemaker wanted to be the leader of the group, and a backseat driver is just kind of like, so what's the plan? He's just like, the plan is for you to eat a bag of dicks. And he goes, you say that in jest, but if that entire beach was covered in dicks, I'd eat it all for liberty. And then comes an actually kind of serious conversation about like why people kill. (laughs) It's just kind of like, you know what I think? I think you, I think you just use Liberty as your excuse, whether that's to eat a bag of dicks (laughs) or kill somebody. The best thing about this movie, right? So we were talking, we were joking about how it's set in fake Chile slash Cuba slash Philippines, right? And in this movie, in a way that this movie is just so determined to have a conversation about geopolitics. Like, you remember, so much of my complaint about the Marvel stuff is that they'll do these sort of political arcs, but it's so clear that Marvel movies are a world in which no one has political opinions about anything and in which politics don't actually exist. Whereas politics this, it's, are, it's politics true. don't have leanings in the Marvel universe. They just have a function. Like, it's like they're... Ye- in in the DC universe, like it's somebody whoever's writing the thing has is uh, like has is I don't know. There's just like a greater tendency of them to espouse their opinion one way or the other. Like and yeah, but but that I, that's not necess- That's not to say right that oh the DC movies are smarter about politics. What it is to say is two things to my They're mind. They're just more opinionated. One, well, it's more opinionated, which gives gives the world and the characters more texture. But two, it's also that so many conversations in the Suicide Squad are like really annoying Reddit arguments. Yes. <laughs> That's what it is. You know what I mean? It's like so many conversations that Bloodsport and Peacemaker have or the rest of them have. It's just like, yeah, this isn't... It, like, it's not smart, but it is real. Like, it's how... It's how it's real. It's how idiots would talk about this stuff. Yeah, it's like it's yes. It like despite these people doing cool things, that's another thing that makes like Suicide Squad fun. Is despite these people pulling off incredible feats of athleticism and marksmanship, the movie never lets you forget that they are stupid. Like the worst. Yes. Like the like like the like the dumbest and least. And, and most ill-equipped of this of the the villain class in this in this universe. <laughs> yes, yes. 
Yes. And so it's, I don't know, to me, the texture of this movie is like, oh, this is, this is an R politics rant. And I'm, but I, but I'm with it though, even though it's stupid. I'm with it's so it, ridiculous. It's so funny. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I, I think the movie really hinges on those three performances. Um, I think scene is the most impressive. I think Margot Robbie is Harley Quinn. Like that is the most consistent. Like, I mean, like, cause this every time, every time, like, I mean, like she was the old, she was like one of the only good things about the original suicide squad movie. Birds of prey was fire. Like, um, you know, it's just like, she's, she's good at this. She's amazing at this character. Like this when she she breaks out like on her own, that shit was incredible. Yeah. Yeah, yes. But the scene before, like the scene, so I guess we should explain, right? The, she kills the the youngest of the successors of this fake country. Oh, right, 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 right. This, and that is incredible. Okay, so this is- this The whirlwind is, romance. She has a whirlwind romance. She has a whirlwind with romance dictator. with like the, the young, sexy dictator of this country <laughs> who needs to win the approval of his people by- Marrying somebody who represents anti-American sentiment, which is the chaotic Harley Quinn for some reason. Anyway, they do all the meat cute stuff. They, you know, feed each other strawberries and dance along the veranda and all this other shit. And then they have, they destroy a room having sex. And then he's just kind of like, let's get married. And then she shoots him. And it's hilarious. It's it's funny initially, and then it gets incredibly raw very quickly. Yeah, like, she draws it out in, in a really good way. And it's like, yeah. the first, what is the first part of the speech? The first like, part of the speech is she was just kind of like, listen, you know, you're really hot and all, but like, um, I promise myself that it's just kind of like, but I've matured. I've like, I've matured a lot these last few years. And I promised myself that if I saw red flags, the next time I dated a guy, I would kill him, which is very, which is like funny. But then she keeps going and it's just kind of no, like, you're missing you know, the best line where she says, and killing kids is a big yeah, red killing flag. Killing kids is a big <laughs> red flag. But like it's in between there, like that's like in between, like those are two like funny bookends. But in between there, she's just kind of like, because when you date guys, like when your taste, like when your taste of men is like mine, like they don't go away quietly. They slash your tires and kill your pets and you know do all this other stuff. And it's just kind of like holy shit, like you know. And then and then she's just kind of like, and it just kind of tears you apart after a while. And. And, and he's like, just bleeding the whole time. Like the he's blood bleeding out the whole time. Because so I mean, like she gut shot him with a musket. Like I mean, it wasn't even like a. It was one of them dull bullets that used to like flatten on impact. <laughs> so he's dying yeah. slowly. He's dying super slow on screen. It's, it's beautiful. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. This movie, like, and then I guess Idris, right? Um, I think you know what it is. I think part of it is. When I went into this movie, there were two things, right? It's why I told you to stop lying when you texted me and said the movie was good. Thing on the one hand, it's that how excited was I really going to be for Suicide Squad for a lot of superhero industrial complex related reasons. I think the other reason, though, is because Idris. Love Idris. Love him. Love Idris. However, Idris. Ayed. 
be Ian. making decisions. He be making decisions. Ian. 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 You touch Ian. my wife, Ian. If you touch my wife, I'll Ian. I'll kill you, Ian. I, 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 I swear to God, Ian. Alice. I, I, I will kill you. Alice, stay there. I will kill you. Um, it just be making decisions with movies. And it's, I don't know. Sometimes Idris is at a point in his career where I'm just like, I don't know, Chief. I don't know if you are picking the right project. And so I'm just like, Suicide Squad starring Idris Elba. This sounds like, I don't know. I don't know. Idris, do I want this for Idris? Do I want But then, like, it you, is really You're reheating just... Will Smith's leftovers. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's what I thought about yeah. it. It's like, I don't know if I want this for Idris Elba. Yeah, but then, like, you think that, like, okay. So remember when I was talking about Will that that scene where Will Smith is uh, um, trying to shoot Batman and Giuseppe Zanotti's? Like, it's basically yeah. like they made that that the 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 Fred Lawton character somewhere in his early th- like vaguely thirties and not the age that Will Smith really was at the, like it just over feels like he is 48 in this movie, you know, like it he feels <laughs> he like, yeah. weather. Is like fully yeah, like he's like, he's like the scene where they are like, um, where he just puts on the helmet, like on, like on top of his disguise and they try to go break Harley out and they're sneaking behind the building. The way that he runs is like, <laughs> just kind of like, imagining somebody who's pausing a movie and uh, out of the chair and running downstairs to get food is what that, is what that run looks like to me. I mean, Yo, you, obviously, the, you yeah. know, like he's, he's still like, you know, incredibly, you know, yoked and hot as fuck in this movie or whatever. But like, it's the fact that he also just looks old and tired <laughs> <laughs> works. Yeah, I watching this, I I was like one thought I had was okay, well he's definitely too old to play James Bond now. That's <laughs> one of the thoughts. Yeah. But it it works for this movie though. Um Yeah. Yeah, man. I I like it. I like it a lot. I don't know. Yeah, you know man, what? I feel cool. so even even with the movie like this where I was just like this was good, like this felt it took all the good ingredients about superhero stuff, but didn't really ask me to give a shit about a bunch of lore that's spread across. Like, because again, there's a lot of, I was talking to Justin Davis, OG Johnny Five on Twitter, right? And he was talking to me, um, he was telling me about Star You, Starro, whatever we call him. And he was just saying that like, yeah, that's, you know, that's like a reference to the comics. Like all these characters right like they again you'll recognize them from various comics and yet this is a kind of movie that says no nah, i don't worry about all that the whole obviously that's sort of embedded in the suicide squad concept in the movies too right is that like we're kind of we're really scraping the bottom of the barrel and that's part of the the deal but that's the thing it's like i didn't really feel like i was being asked to overinvest in like the thing you were describing about the the first Suicide Squad movie, right? Like this movie didn't really feel like it was trying to do franchise building. This movie really did just feel like a kind of orgasmic pronouncement. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but a really yeah. well-written and well-structured one. That's the thing. It also didn't feel chaotic to a fault of just like, oh, they're just doing silly shit. 
like down to the visual stuff. Like, oh man, one thing I really love about the movie too, right? Is that you have, okay, you have the shark, right? You have King right. Shark. You have um, Starro, right? And you have the rat, right? You have Rat Catcher's rat. Or all the rats, rather, by the end. Mm-hmm. Other than that, though, especially in the first two thirds, right? It's such a practical effects driven movie. Like, it feels yeah. really, really real. The best stuff in the movie, there's definitely CG in the movie, but the best stuff in the movie from a just sort of superhero action perspective feels really simple and really practical and really physical and, like, it really hurts. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Like, there's a there's a lot of flinching to be had when, like, they are killing that entire camp of, you know, resistance fighters when they are, when, when Harley's escaping from like, you know, her interrogation on, on the military compound. Like I was just like, Oh, ah, ow. <laughs> like it's, you do do a lot of flinching. It looks, it, it, it's, it's very viscerally satisfying. Yeah. Although the polka dots also look like they hurt and those are very special effectsy, but yeah, everything looks like it hurt in this movie. Which I feel like is the main sort of through line of it, right? It looks like a very painful movie. Uh, and that's why I liked it. Okay? Uh, it felt real to me. This movie about Rick Flag and things of that nature. Um, I don't know. Can I actually... So I was talking to J5, who I mentioned earlier. And he had a question that I feel like is is like... You, you would know how to address this? Because I don't, right? Like, I, I have a very loose sense of all the creatives at Marvel and DC and James Gunn and all these people. So I'm going to just read his question. He said, he, he, he posed this to me as, you know, a listener question, a fan question. So thank you for listening. Um, he said, someone posed a frightening future of James Gunn as the Feige of DC. Do you think that DC needs a guy, quote unquote, to run their shit? Or do they just need to let directors be directors? Okay. That is a... Mondig, I'm glad you asked that. Because this is the exact thing that I was talking about where we were just now talking about where, like, say, for instance, like politics in the Marvel Universe versus politics in the DC Universe. Why... um, like things feel like a mechanism or a part of a whole, like in the Marvel universe in a way that like such and such director is only picking up the Marvel aesthetic and playing with it a little bit and putting it down. The DC shit feels the good stuff that has been happening has been like the directors bringing their own sort of vision, sensibility, whatever to the project and like Warner brothers or DC or whomever stepping out of the way, like, or, you know, like stepping back a little bit. Cause you know, like it's, it's, it's comics, you know, there's a lot of money involved, yeah. but like, it's, yeah, it's money. I think it's table. better. Yeah. Like if they just let directors be directors and that is how DC would actually succeed at this rather than having James Gunn become, um, the overlord laying out storyboards of phases and, you know, dozens of movies, decades in the future. Like, I mean, because I mean, like everything would quickly become even more mid by, by 
if, if that were to happen, I think. Yeah. Like turning and, like, it into he, like assembly line is like, I think going to be to DC's detriment. That sounds right. You're speaking from a more informed, like educated perspective on that. Like, I just know that um, you could smell it on these movies when they are, they are, they are one cog in like a really huge overdeveloped graph of things that are meant to interact together. It's not just true of Marvel, it's true of Star Wars too. Like I think the Star Wars, the logic of the sort of resuscitation of Star Wars fell apart when they had, when all these movies had to kind of account for one another. Right. That's that's what you don't want. You don't want that. Both, both in terms of the literal plot, right? Like in terms of how do we prevent plot holes, but also when it's like, Oh, you have to have all these directors, all these producers who aren't actually coordinated across projects, nonetheless adhering to a design document. Or if it's Star Wars, the design document doesn't actually exist and that it's even worse, really, because like, what are you even enforcing? But you can smell yeah. it on these movies. You can smell it on these movies that that's when they fail is when they sort of get too interconnected, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I think we uh I think we are kind of aligned there. Um that's all but I got. Watch, watch that's that's all Squad. that's all we got about Suicide Squad. But if you have um Who was your favorite like scene in the talk, movie? I what was your favorite scene? I tell tell the people. My favorite scene in the movie? Yeah. Yeah. What you got? Um let's see. The first time I watched it, it was like the it was the scene where they are going in like the entire uh, scene where they were going in or they were coming off the beach and going into the uh, into the resistance camp to find Rick Flag is like an amazing sequence to me. Like from the conversation that Bloodsport and Peacemaker have to um, like the you know, the shoe being on the other table, which is now turned when it turns out that they killed the entire resistance force. And also like Alice Braga, like barely even reacted to it. Like just being like, you know, damn, you killed everybody I came with. That sucks. Let's go, you know, do this mission. though. <laughs> um, I think that one might be my favorite. What about you? Yo, when, when John Cena kills Rick Flagg, <laughs> That is an incredible peacemaker. That's some sort of joke. <laughs> like, yo, his, that, Cena's and it's face. It's the facial acting in it. It's not, it's not the one liner. It's the fact face that. Face is woo. like, it is crazy the amount of, like, the, 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 the emotions that play across Cena's face after he stabs him with the little tile shard. He has hatred in his heart, <laughs> Batman. But also, like, uh, deep, deep. Like uncoverable sadness. <laughs> so, I just I watched the whole movie. I kept thinking, man, there's some people who who don't even want to get this movie a shot because they still mad that John Cena apologized to China for calling Taiwan a country. But like, <laughs> I don't know, man. He kind of, he kind of, he kind of popped off in this. Jean Come on, shorts man. on TV for a decade, dog. You gotta, on, you just man. gotta just, let it go. You gotta. Come on, come on. Just watch the movie. Come on. We all we all make mistakes. He was he was on t- he was on TV and Gene Shores in a bike lock and you talk you 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 ask him about like public relations. 
international <laughs> relations. Oh, that's all we got. Please email us soundonlypod at gmail.com. Especially, look, I'm I'm not bugging, right? Like, I just so vividly remember the image from the opening sequence of the original Pokemon cartoon. And anyway, I feel like they had to have censored it out. I just remember Tentacool destroying a building and being like, never forget. Uh, email Micah about other stuff. Soccer, whatever he, you know. Email us, soundonlypod, gmail.com. I'm Justin Charity. And I'm Micah Peters. Shouts out to our producer, Stefan Anderson. We will see y'all next week.